reference to God the Son. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. In his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace and the throne of David over his kingdom to establish and hold it with justice and righteousness and so on and so on. So this is a reference actually to God the Son, but he's called, uh, translation says eternal father. It would actually be accurate to say father of, of eternity or father of the ages. <clears throat> and But in studying the father, looking at God the Father in the Old Testament, is rather challenging because he's not referred to as God the Father, but just, oh, less than a dozen passages in the Old Testament, you can actually see God referred to as Father. Uh, much of the Old Testament actually as a reference to references God the Father, but it can be rather challenging to figure out which references are, are referring to God the Father versus uh, another person of the Godhead because the titles that are used are used um, of all the persons of the Godhead, the term Lord is used frequently. <clears throat> you have Elohim, you have, which is a, a plural form of the word God, which is a reference to uh, three or more persons who are God, uh, without stating which persons are, be are specifically being referred to. The only way you can really get a good understanding of who God the Father is in the Old Testament is by what is revealed about God the Father in the New Testament. And you come to this verse of the Old Testament that's actually a reference to God the Son, and he's called Father. Well, why is he called Father of the Ages or Father of Eternity? Well, the answer to that is found in Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 11. And so if we go there, this is where the study from um, uh, apologetics comes into play because that verse or that subject uses these two texts in Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 11. To, as, as one of their foundation verses to base their, or maybe a springboard, you might say, to, to take off on their, their tangents on apologetics. And so if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, this passage says, By faith we understand that the universe, some of your translations say world, that the world or the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so this verse, people will, will come here and because of a mistranslation of two words in our English, they base an entire, almost completely, they base their entire uh, premise on apologetics, trying to prove the scripture from this verse. Uh, they, they will go to the fact that this verse says, uh, by faith we understand the world or the universe was created. And so they use that as a, as a basis for uh, emphasizing studies in the book of Genesis, particularly chapter 1 and chapter 6, that deal with the renovation of the earth, the six-day creation of God in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, looking at Genesis chapter 6 and the flood and use uh, the science that we have available to us and looking at and comparing that with the scriptural account of the creation and the Genesis flood to, to prove that the things that we see now are not, were not created by things that are visible. And so they use that as an argument against evolution. And Unfortunately, this verse has nothing to do with the creation of the world. It has nothing to do with the creation of the universe. And it has nothing to do with, with 
addressing evolution in any way, shape, or form, because the words that are used here aren't the word for worlds or universe, and it's not the word for, it has nothing to do with, with evolution. The word that's used here is uh, the word for ages. It says, by faith we understand the ages, and it's not the word for created like we would have in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. It's a word which indicates something that's organized, framed in or organized. So it says, by faith we understand that the ages were organized by an utterance from God. <clears throat> Another problem with, with trying to view this as the world's being created, <clears throat> does faith look backwards or does faith look forwards? looks forwards. And if we try to understand this based on the mistranslation of the word into making it worlds or universe, it's trying to take something that is designed to look forwards by faith. We look, in fact, just two verses before, we have the definition for faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hope is always based on something that's in the future, something you don't have yet. That's why you hope for it, because you don't have it in your possession. <laughs> if you're looking at something in the past, it's already said and done. It's already a completed deal. You're not hoping for something that's in the past because it's already been done. <clears throat> and so it's by faith, uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Uh, trying to look at creation, obviously we weren't there, That's we weren't, present during the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, so we can say, well, that wasn't seen, but it's still not something that we hope for. We don't hope that someday we will have a world that we can live in and a universe that we can function in because we're already there. We already have that. If, if you're not from this world, um, you've got some other issues that you might need some medical help to, to, to uh, some counseling perhaps to, to go through, but if you think that you're not from this world, that, that's just plain a bizarre statement because we understand we live in a world it, that was created thousands of years ago. We don't hope for that. We already have it. And so this misunderstanding twists an, a Christian's view of what faith is. And it takes it and it misdirects it as something that does not promote a hope and will not produce the desired result. God has a purpose for faith. He gives us things to hope for, and one of the things that faith promotes is if a person is living or walking by faith, the whole book of Hebrews uh, is based on several key concepts. We're gonna look at a couple of those. One of the things that the faith promotes is maturity in a believer. If a believer is walking by faith, living in accordance to the promises that God has made with hope, uh, a certainty on those things that are that are waiting for us in the future, it will have an effect on our lives. But a, a Christian who misdirects faith, something that is not hoped for, it will not promote maturity. It will not promote the desired effect in the believer's life. And so uh, there's much of the endeavor, the, the efforts of a Christian's life are gonna be uh, being misdirected. They're gonna be a waste. And so this verse is not talking about trying to uh, prove that um, to other other unbelievers, other Christians, or whatever. It's not trying to prove something that already took place. It's looking at something that has an, a, a relationship to the future, and it's talking about ages. The world and the universe are physical entities. 
the ages is not a physical entity. The ages are periods of time. You can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that define, gives us one of our definitions of, of ages. Ages are periods of time that God reveals something about himself. That's intangible. It's not a physical entity like the world system, not the world system, but the world that we live in or the, the universe. It's not physical. <clears throat> the ages are immaterial. And the book of Hebrews <clears throat> gives us a couple of different ways of measuring time. <clears throat> if you look at Hebrews chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 3, One other thing that happened to me this last week <clears throat> is I finally broke down <clears throat> and got real glasses instead of just reader glasses. <clears throat> this is really a bizarre thing. I've got bifocals on <clears throat> and, I, and I'm trying to figure out how to, how to read with bifocals and I can look at you and you're not fuzzy with my reader glasses. If I'm looking at you, you're completely fuzzy and I can't make out anything beyond about past this microphone, <clears throat> but I can read my Bible. But if I'm reading my Bible, <clears throat> if I'm looking at you, then my Bible's totally blurry. And with my bifocals, I'm trying to see both, and I'm getting kind of dizzy up here as it's kind of... <laughs> so <clears throat> bear with me as I'm trying to, to figure out where my, <clears throat> my uh, reading is supposed to be here. <clears throat> but um, <clears throat> we have... Uh, let's see, it wasn't Hebrews chapter 3. I had... Uh, let's see, the, the two households, Moses and Christ. Where are we at? What? Oh. Chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. Okay, it is Hebrews chapter 3. Okay, I see it. We have two households um, mentioned here. Um, we get our word dispensation from this. Uh, Hebrews doesn't describe all of the dispensations, it clearly states two. There's a third one that can be uh, inferred from this, <clears throat> but Hebrews isn't really concerned with all of the dispensations. It's primarily looking at, at emphasizing two different dispensations. A dispensation is a house rule, <clears throat> uh, and we have uh, two different house, sets of house rules here, and the book of Hebrews is contrasting the, the rules from both the households. One household is going to take a believer and bring them to maturity if you live according to the rule of one household. If you live in, in the other, by the rules of the other household, you're gonna stagnate in your Christian life and you're not going to mature. Those two households that are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter three are also related to the two ages that we live in, two periods of time where God's revealing something about himself right now. And one of those ages, if you live in one of those ages, uh, it's called the legal age, it's going to correspond with the household uh, that Moses was over, which was the household of legalism, the household of law. So we look at Hebrews chapter 3. If you look at verse 1, he says, Therefore, holy brothers, uh, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, He's, and it's talking about God the Father here. He was faithful to God the Father. The Father was the one who appointed him as head over this household. 
Uh, he was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant to testify to things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over his house as a son. And we are, uh, we are of his house, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. <clears throat> so Moses, Moses' household was, was uh, likened to that of a servant. And we can see evidence of that throughout the entire Old Testament. Uh, Israel, uh, there's a few places where, where God calls Israel his son, but that's always with reference to what Israel is going to be in the future because ever, Israel never attained to that, that position in their, during the 1600 years that they were under law. They were always uh, the servants of the Most High and Moses was a servant in his household. He was the, the you called the head servant, he was the steward. The steward was, was a servant in a household, but he was in charge of the other servants in the household. And so Moses was a servant in a household that was made up of servants. And you can see where that started to change at near the end of Christ's earthly ministry in the upper room, Christ told his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because he had begun revealing to his servants, Old Testaments, who, uh, believers who had just got saved, what his, what his plans were. And he says that a, a servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I've told you what my plans are, so now I'm calling you my friends. And after the day of Pentecost came in, that relationship drew closer yet because now they were no longer called friends, but now those who began as servants, relabeled as friends, in the upper room, and after the day of Pentecost, they were baptized into the body of Christ and became mature sons. And Christ is said here, uh, has was counted more glory. It says in worthy of more glory than Moses, because it says that uh, Christ in verse six is faithful over his house as a mature son. So Christ's household is characterized by sonship. Moses' house was characterized by servitude. Our class was about in Sunday school this morning, that of being a servant. And so there's a completely different relationship to God between these two households, even though God arranged both households. Both of these households were under God's authority. One produces only servants who don't know what the master's doing. They don't have a, that close relationship, a family relationship, the other is relation, uh, relationship is based on, on sonship, one who is not just a part of the family of God, but the closest relationship possible to have with God because the, that of a mature son, those who are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And so these two households are being contrasted throughout the book of Hebrews. But you also have something else characterized through Hebrews, and if you go back to chapter one, we have the statement in verse 1 and 2, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the, and if your translation says worlds, that's again a mistranslation of our word ages. He didn't, yes, Christ created the world, 
But again, that is a physical entity, the worlds of the universe, and this is not the word for worlds. It's not the word for cosmos, which is world system. It's not the word gay, which is the word for land mass or earth. This is the word ion, which is the word for ages. This is an immaterial thing that Christ organized. He framed or put together the elements of the ages. And ages, again, are periods of time where God reveals something about himself to his creation. Now, there is, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, he's going to give some illustrations of faith here. I'm not going to go through them other than to just uh, drew one illustration because the, the focus of this is on something else. <clears throat> but going back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, he says, again, by faith we understand that the ages were organized by an utterance of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And again, I to emphasize this is not talking about a creation that we were present to witness. It's not talking about evolution that tries to say that the things that we say that we see outside the window here came about through gradual processes of other physical things that can be seen. He actually uses two different words for sight here. The first word that is used here is a word that we actually get our word phenomenon from. You ever seen the word the movie phenomenon? Um, forget the the actor's name. <coughs> Oh, sorry? John Travolta, yeah. He has this, he's, he goes outside, he's celebrating his birthday, and it's late at night. He, he goes out of the bar from being with his friends, and this bright, blinding light flashes before his eyes, knocks him to the ground, and it's a wow. He doesn't know what the source of it was, doesn't know what it means, but he sees something. <clears throat> That, and he goes back and did anybody else see that? It was a phenomenon that he didn't really understand what the source of it was, where it came from, or what it meant, but it was something that caught his attention. And did anybody else see that? No, they thought he was drunk because he had, they hadn't seen anything. And after that flash of light, some things begin, remarkable things changed in his life. He became, uh, he, he, he became more and more manic uh, as time went on, he became less and less sleep, and he became, uh, he got, brilliant flashes of intuition began understanding things that, that nobody else could understand. It was a phenomenon that couldn't understand that occurred in his, in his mind's eye because there was, it turns out at the end of the movie, there actually was never a, a bright flash of light at all. It was just something that he perceived in his mind. He had a brain tumor and it affected the way his mind interpreted things and it ended up killing him at the end of the movie. The, the brain tumor <clears throat> caused a problem. But this is what our word phenomenon, it, it's, it's a bright, it's a sudden inspiration or an insight into something that you may or may not know exactly what the source of it is, but you have an insight to something that is not physically seen necessarily. The second word for sight is the word blepo, which refers to just, now I, now I see it, now I don't. <laughs> you know, blepo, the, the physical aspect of how the eyes work. And so what he's saying is, he's, he's talking about two different types of sight. He says that the things that are perceived in the mind or, or understood by the mind, recognized, and actually they're, seen, they're perceived with understanding, didn't come from things that are seen with the physical eyes. And so he's talking about something that can be understood with the mind and accepted as real, which Verse says, verse 1 tells us what has been perceived by the mind as real. 
by faith, or faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not being seen. So faith gives me the capacity to have that, that phenomenon. So it makes something absolutely real to where I can see it very clearly in my mind's eye. I can understand it and, and accept it and recognize it as very true because it is true in my mind. Maybe you can't see it. Maybe you haven't seen that flash of light, but faith gives me that flash of light, so I don't need to see it with these. I can see it with this, and it is just as real to me as if I did see it with this. In fact, maybe it's even more real. We're actually told by uh, elsewhere in Scripture that this reality of faith is actually more real and, and has, carries more weight than what is evident by what I can see through my four eyes up here. <clears throat> And so faith gives substance to that. <clears throat> now he <clears throat> develops this further <clears throat> by using, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, going down to uh, verse uh, is it seven, I think. Yeah, verse seven. He says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet, what? Unseen. Noah hadn't seen what was coming. Noah was told that there was going to be a flood coming. God gave him information concerning uh, building an ark, and Noah had not seen that. He didn't, he didn't see him with this, but he had faith. He, he believed, he, he perceived that what he was told by God was really gonna happen. Concerned, so he didn't see them with his physical eyes, but he saw them in his mind in reverent fear, he did construct an ark because he believed. He had faith that this was really going to take place. So he didn't need to see this. He didn't need to use these four eyes. He had a, it had a phenomenon that made it very real to him. So real that he spent 120 years of his life with his family being mocked by the rest of the world building that ark for the salvation of his family and, and the rest of the world. <clears throat> we have another statement <clears throat> here in uh, verse 13 that makes it even more clear. <clears throat> He's talking about several other of these uh, previous uh, Old Testament saints. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them. But actually, what the, the, the way the Hebrew or the Greek puts it here, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but uh, let's see, uh, get my, but having them, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me find my inner linear here. In faith they died, these all, not having received their promises, but from far away, three things happened. From afar, they saw them, they greeted them, and they acknowledged. There's three things that they, without having seen, they saw them from afar. In other words, they didn't, they didn't see them with their eyes because the things were far away. They, they, they embraced them as if they were presently right in front of them. They embraced them. They saw them. They acknowledged them. But they were far off. They couldn't see them because those, they, they never received, their entire life they lived never receiving those promises. They were so far away, they never received them. And yet they were so real to them they did see them. They were so real to them, they actually embraced them. 
In other words, these promises, this faith that they had affected their lives. And it was a phenomenon that was more real than what they could have seen with their eyes. <clears throat> now going back to verse 3, <clears throat> this says, <clears throat> By faith we understand the ages were framed by an utterance from God. Now when he goes through these, <clears throat> these illustrations of uh, Old Testament saints who demonstrated uh, faith in promises that were made, <clears throat> this is all in the context of faith as it relates to promises within the age that they were living. In other words, it's not just giving um, abstract promises that were made to them, but they were living in different ages than we are now. They were living at times, not just one age, there's several different ages that occurred during the, this history that goes back to Abel in verse four. By faith, Abel, he didn't live in the same age that Moses lived in. He didn't live in the same ages that we live in today. God was revealing something different to Abel. Uh, the promises that they were given related to the age that they were living in. It related to the household they were in, in other words, the dispensation. Dispensation being a household where God is revealing something to man about man. That's what a dispensation is. An age is a period of time where God is revealing something to man about God. <laughs> And so, two different aspects of Revelation, but these uh, uh, saints are giving promises related to the age that they were living in. In other words, uh, these believers received a promise specific to the age that they were living in. They related to specific revelation that was God, God was giving about himself for the age that they were living in. And so, each one of these uh, Old Testament saints are demonstrating faith that relates to the revelation that God was giving to him about himself regarding promises that were going to affect them. And an illustration, I'm just gonna throw one illustration out here. Like I said, I don't wanna take time to go through the whole thing. It can take a little bit of work going through this, but the first illustration we have is Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was uh, commended as now righteous. God commending him. Uh, commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith through he died he still speaks <clears throat> this sacrifice <clears throat> that Abel made obviously we're going back to Genesis what is it chapter 3 I think <clears throat> where we have the story of Cain and Abel <clears throat> and what was unique about it what was different about Abel's sacrifice than Cain's sacrifice Abel's sacrifice was acceptable and Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable. How come Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable? We go back to Genesis chapter 3 so we can remind ourselves. This is like Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 is also misunderstood but because the nature of the sacrifice, people try to make this sacrifice that Abel made relate to the legal age. In other words, they try to make this a, a sin offering. The sacrifice that Abel made was not a sin offering. Uh, the sin offering did not come until the legal age. That was under Moses. Moses was the steward of the dispensation of law, and the dispensation of law, where God gave man a household legal law to live under, paralleled the legal age where God was revealing to himself about some aspects about himself, about his legal requirements. <clears throat> In Genesis chapter 4, Abel is not, Cain and Abel don't live in the legal age. This promise 
uh, and this act of faith have nothing to do with the legal requirements or the law's requirements for sin offerings because those legal offer, uh, requirements had not been made yet. The law had not been given. Abel was not giving a sin's offering for a sacrifice. Cain was not trying to provide a sacrifice. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says he was offering a gift. Uh, and in Genesis chapter 4 uh, verse 3 says, So it came about in the course of time Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard so be, uh, Cain became angry his countenance fell then the Lord said to Cain why are you angry why has your countenance fallen if you do well will not your countenance be lifted up but if you do not do well sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you but you'll be its master <clears throat> go back to Hebrews <clears throat> There is nothing in this account of Cain and Abel that indicates that either one of them were, pro were doing an offering for sacrifice for sins. Hebrews chapter 11 says, verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Cain and Abel were offering a sacrifice that was a gift. Now, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 5, <coughs> Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 says, every, this is talking about Moses' household. This is looking beyond Abel. This is looking back uh, to more recent times, to the legal age. Every high priest... Uh, chosen from among, among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That word and there makes these two separate items. They're not the same thing. The gifts are not sacrifices for sins. Gifts are one thing. Sacrifices for sins are another thing. The priests under Old Testament law under Mo as Moses was the steward of that, that household, they offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. Abel was not offering a sacrifice for sins. He was offering a gift. He was not offering a sacrifice for sins because that legal requirement had not been made yet. The faith that Abel demonstrated was that if I offer this gift that meets God's qualifications, in other words, it, to be qualified for God to receive a gift, there ha it had qualifications. And he described what those qualifications were in Genesis chapter 3. He's, he said, it can't be the fruit of the ground. It had to be a blood sacrifice. He doesn't explain why it had to be a blood sacrifice. He says, if you're going to offer a gift to me, that's what I will accept. Abel had faith that if I do it the way God says, he will accept it. And did God accept Abel's sacrifice? Yes, he did. Abel's faith was then rewarded. Did Cain believe that his sacrifice would be acceptable? Well, if he did, it was misdirected because he, his sacrifice was not commended, because it was not a gift that God was willing to receive. God did not speak well of Cain's gift because it didn't meet the qualifications that God demanded for God to receive it as a gift. 
<clears throat> that should say something to us in our relationship to God. <clears throat> Christians, <clears throat> while we may not be offering, <clears throat> uh, living under the same rule that, that Moses was or Abel, uh, Christians all the time are trying to offer up things to God that in their mind they think, well, this is something religious. I think this is pretty commendable, so if I think it's commendable, God's got to think it's commendable too, right? We, we kind of put God under our little finger, trying to wrap him around our little finger. God tells us in his word what's acceptable, and if we meet uh, God's requirements of what's acceptable, then our sacrifices are acceptable. The sacrifices that we make are spiritual sacrifices. We don't make physical blood sacrifices or offerings of our ground. <clears throat> Those are not acceptable to God today. They were under Moses' household, but under Christ's household, the things that he accepts now are, are totally different. They're spiritual in nature. God does no longer accept the sacrifices that he uh, accepted under Moses' household, but he did when he was dealing with Moses' household. So <clears throat> you can see what Hebrews is dealing with here. He's dealing with two different households, and one of those households we're not under anymore. And yet, the trouble, one of the problems with the Hebrews is they were still trying to live within a household that, go, that God no longer accepted. Still offering up sacrifices that God no longer accepted. Offering up gifts that, God, that didn't meet God's qualifications. And then puzzled as, how come God isn't blessing me in my deed? Well, that's the reason he's not blessing you, because it's you and your deed, uh, deed, not you doing God's deeds. There's a big difference, huge difference. Uh, God has qualifications that have to be met to even receive a gift from us. God doesn't accept just anything from anybody for doing anything that seems right in our own eyes. There are qualifications that have to be met because of God's nature in order for it to be acceptable uh, for God, it's got to be in accordance with the demands that he righteously sets out. <clears throat> now going <coughs> back here to Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 11. <clears throat> By the way, he, he mentions, makes a distinguishing between gifts and sacrifices at least three times in the book of Hebrews. So it makes it very clear <clears throat> that uh, there's, there's a distinction between what he recognized as a gift and what he recognized as a sacrifice. But in chapter 11, <clears throat> just showing the first illustration here with Abel. <clears throat> Abel was giving a, uh, was demonstrating faith based on a promise that related to the age that he lived in. <clears throat> uh, he lived in a different age than, than Moses. He lived in a different age than, than Abraham. <clears throat> Uh, and, and each one of these, if you go through each one of these different individuals and their works of faith, there's a specific promise related to the specific age that they lived in <clears throat> that demonstrated their faith. <clears throat> in uh, verse 1, faith is assurance of things hoped for. And then we have these, all these, these illustrations of faith. Uh, faith goes back in the book of Hebrews, starts off clear back in as uh, a chapter five here, I think. Um, yeah, chapter five, <clears throat> verse nine. We have the first <clears throat> place where this occurs. <clears throat> and it's used. Excuse me, not not uh, Hebrews five. I'm looking at my wrong one here. We have Hebrews chapter uh, four previous chapter, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. <clears throat> the first illustration that we have here is actually used of, of um, Jesus, 
not of Jesus. This is of the uh, individuals who are receiving the word of God without faith. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message did they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. <clears throat> In other words, the word of God can be can be taught, uh, but if in this present household that we live in, this present period of time, uh, faith has to enter into it. In other words, uh, the word by itself uh, is not going to produce anything of benefit unless it's mixed with faith with the one that hears. And so the very first uh, illustration that we have of faith here, the first instruction we have is the word of God has to be combined with faith because this present household that we're living in where Christ is a mature son and we are counted as mature sons is characterized by individuals who are walking by faith. And it's that walk of faith that promotes uh, maturity in believers. So we have Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 is the next place where this occurs. Is therefore... <clears throat> Let us leave the elementary doctrines of the Christ and go on to maturity, not laying a, again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings and so on. This we will do if God permits. Hebrews 6 verse 12 says, So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. <clears throat> Hebrews uh, 10 verse 22 um, says, <clears throat> I'm just going through this quickly because... I don't want to dwell on these at the moment. Hebrews 10.22 is, is an important one here. It says that, um, Let us draw near with a true heart by full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. <clears throat> this is, is a little, seems a little bit odd <clears throat> because this faith says that it is by exercising faith we draw near to God. And this sounds odd because moment we're saved, the baptism of the Holy Spirit does what? Places us into Christ. And what proximity does that place us to, to God? Brings us close. Uh, that's one of the benefits that Gentiles have now, <clears throat> that the dispensation of law has, <clears throat> is um, no longer in effect. Uh, Gentiles did not have access to God. Uh, well, the, the access they had was, was very tenuous and it was, it was a very distant relationship. But the blood of Christ brings us near. The baptism of the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit places us at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ. So how does faith bring us near if we've already been brought near to God? God already sees us there. So how, do we, how, how are we brought near if we're already near? This seems to be a, a contradiction almost. If you're already near, how do you draw near? <laughs> what? You have to believe it because one one is a work of God and one is a work that we do. Well, I say works that we do. One is we're involved in, I should say. God, the Holy Spirit, places us near to Him, but now He says, "You on your your part, draw near with your hearts." This is not a physical proximity. We already have a physical proximity by the work of God. The Holy Spirit puts us in physical proximity by placing us into Christ. Faith is something that we do within our minds where we draw near with our hearts. Our hearts is our, our decision-making part of us. We decide to function in the realm of faith. And so uh, the illustration that I want to use, I, we have a neighbor cat uh, that 
couple of kittens that have been growing very rapidly. They've started coming around when I'm outside working on the bus and, and getting real friendly. <clears throat> and but, but one of them likes to be held, the other doesn't like to be held. He he's, crawls right up on, on me when I'm trying to work. But the sooner I try to pick him up and hold him, all, oh, he just pushes away, pushes away. He's still close. I brought him near me, but he's fighting everything he can because he doesn't want that proximity on my terms. He only wants it on his terms. So even though he has a physical proximity, in his determination, in his heart, he wants to be far from me, <laughs> even though I'm trying to draw him near. So this is the distinction here. God has brought us near by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he wants us with our minds to make the decision that we want to be in that same proximity. We consider that a valuable place to be. And so functioning in the realm of, of faith is, is, uh, allows us to draw near with our hearts. And so this is something that, that's a work of the believer where he makes the mental decision that I want to be I desire to be, I value being in that place where God has already placed me. So there's, there's two aspects to that. <clears throat> so we have, we have faith being one of the foundation principles in the book of Hebrews. We have the fact that in chapter 1, he established the ages, and in chapter 11, he re-emphasizes the fact that Jesus Christ framed the ages and that the ages are something that we're supposed to be functioning by faith in. And, and so we have two households, one characterized by faith, one not characterized by faith. We have a couple of ages, one that is characterized by, by faith, one that's not characterized by faith. We have one household is going to produce one thing in somebody's life and the other household is going to produce something, something else. In um, verse, verse uh, chapter five, excuse me, for chapter five, verse nine, we have what this distinction, this uh, difference is. <clears throat> it's introduced by the person of Christ, <clears throat> and in Hebrews chapter five, verse nine, it says, uh, "Well, let's see, verse. Let's go back to verse." Seven uh, talking about Jesus Christ in the days of his flesh. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his uh, reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This word perfect is used in the King James Version almost exclusively for, for a, a Greek word that is used for, uh, translated, uh, mature, should be translated maturity, uh, primarily, but it doesn't only mean maturity. The word actually refers to bringing something to completion or bringing it to its desired end, its useful end. Now when it's, it's talking about inanimate objects, it's not talking about maturity because <clears throat> You know, this building can't be mature, but it's complete. So when, when the uh, building inspector put his stamp of approval on it, it had been brought to the occupancy permit, I should say. So it's okay for us to now meet in here. This building has been brought to completion. That would be what this word is. Uh, everything that is all the legal requirements and all the physical requirements to be habitable and safe and, and accepted by Uncle Sam uh, with his blessing to be able to be here um, it has been brought to completion, to its desired end, to its useful purpose. 
when it's used of <coughs> human beings normally it would be referred to as bringing me to my useful end well what's my useful end as a thumb sucking little a little baby babbling no that's not the useful desire that's not why god saved me just so i could be a babbling baby my whole life but he has a useful purpose for me it's to mature me so that i can do the good works that he designed for me before the end the, the uh, world began before the foundation of the world that's my useful end well we call that maturity because it's as i develop spiritually and mentally um, physically too to a certain extent but primarily spiritually <clears throat> why I became more in tune with what God's desires for me were I, I, I become more uh, acquainted with what his purpose with who God is for what for one thing and more acquainted with what he desires and more in tune with with his will and so I become more and more mature functioning the way he wants me to that's the desired end that he has for me well we would call that spiritual maturity so <clears throat> Usually, we would translate this word maturity. <clears throat> this is referring to Jesus Christ. I don't, <clears throat> he was a mature son from the moment that he was born. Christ didn't begin his spiritual life as, as an immature babbler under completely no clue at all what God the Father's desire as will was. He did everything the Father desired from day one. He said, everything the father wanted him to say he did everything the father wanted to say so i don't think this word in relationship to jesus christ is referring to his maturity but there were things that he had qualifications he had to demonstrate things he had to do to be qualified for what he did he had to offer himself as a sacrifice he had to meet certain qualifications to be who god had designed him to be and so this word while normally referring with reference to people would be maturity i think it's referring to jesus christ as he he completed the requirements for the office he met the qualifications the prophecies related to him uh things that the god the father required to be suited to be that high priest to be that savior to be that um uh, that that to meet those different offices that he held <clears throat> but we get to hebrews chapter 7 And that wasn't very very long ago. Uh, Josh went through a number of these in in uh, the afternoon service. He went through this, uh, the book of Hebrews. I, I don't remember if he went through all of them or not, so I'm not going to go through all of them. I don't I don't think he went through all of them. I think he went through mostly the ones that were just referring to uh, this word perfection in relationship to the law, where it does refer to maturity. But this word actually occurs 12 times in the book of Hebrews. It refers to us being brought to maturity, it, but it emphasizes that within these two households that the book of Hebrews deals with, and the ages that correspond with these time frames that these two households run, the legal age primarily, <clears throat> that one household is going to produce maturity in a believer, and the other household will not. And so if a person, just like the uh, using Abel as the first illustration of faith, <clears throat> offering up a gift can be uh, acceptable to God or unacceptable to God. If it is unacceptable, God is not going to achieve the desired result. So if I'm trying to live in the wrong household, the works that I do are not going to produce the desired result and God is not going to produce what he does what he desired to produce in my life which is maturity so that i can be that mature son in christ's household christ is the uh, steward of the household 
as a mature son. So he's raising a household of mature sons. That's the desired end. If I live in the wrong household, if I want to live under Moses' household, I can do a lot of stuff. I can be just as busy as if I'm living in the other household, but it's not going to produce the desired result. The desired result is maturity. And so if you look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, it says, has that same word used here. Uh, verse 18 says, on, on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness because the law made nothing complete or perfect or mature. The law matured nothing. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So we have this word better associated with the word perfect or mature. Because living under one household is better because it produces a desired result, which is maturity. Living in the other household is not better because it does not produce the desired result because it only ends up in immaturity. And the word better occurs and the word perfect or mature occurs both side by side through the entire book of Hebrews, emphasizing that one household is better because it produces maturity, the other household is not better because it does not produce maturity. And the household that we live in today, God the Son organized both, well, he, he, he organized the age and the household both work, both are function side by side during the same time period. So the age and the household demonstrate, the, the household demonstrates a rule that I'm to live by to demonstrate something to me about man. The age, God's demonstrating something about himself. And together, these are demonstrating how God wants me to live my life. And one produces the desired result, the other, is, uh, the other does not. <clears throat> and so these, um, we have <clears throat> uh, Hebrews 7 says, the law makes nothing perfect. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 <clears throat> says, verse 9 says that, I'll read it here. <clears throat> Uh, this is another place where we have gifts and sacrifices side by side. Uh, this uh, Holy Spirit, verse 8, indicates that the way to the Holy of Holies is not yet opened as long as the first uh, uh, section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot mature the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. So this first household that Moses was, was over, the gifts and offerings that they offered didn't matter. The gifts or, or offering sacrifices, either one, neither one of them produced uh, maturity uh, to the one who's offering them. If you go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, this emphasizes that the sacrifices in Moses' household didn't bring to maturity. Uh, 10 verse 1 says, Since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, What's the good things to come? Well, that's the present household that we live in. Uh, the Hebrews were not wanting to live in this present household. They were wanting to stay in the old household. They didn't want to move, move into the new house. You know, you, you, you build a new house, uh, usually for a pretty good reason. The reason being, you want to, if you're building a new house, it's because you want to live in that new house. Well, God built a new house. They didn't want to move in. They wanted to stay in the old address. 
And the law was but a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make mature those who draw near. <coughs> Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if, they, if, those, if those Old Testament sacrifices from Moses could bring to maturity the ones that offered them, they wouldn't have had to keep offering them because they would have been brought to maturity where they didn't need to keep offering them all the time. But it didn't produce that. They, they were enslaved to that because uh, it didn't produce what this new household produces. Uh, in verse, chapter 11, verse 40, um, uh, says that God provided something better for us. Hebrews 11, verse 40 shows, we get there here. It's kind of slow turning, sorry, my fingers are slipping on the pages. Uh, since God had provided, oh, go to verse 39. All these, uh, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be brought to maturity. So what this is saying is that Old Testament saints are going to be brought to maturity, but not before you and I. That's why our household is better, because even though they lived before we do, their household came before our household. What God has provided for us is that we get to be brought to completion first. They will get to be brought to completion, but after us. So what we have is better because God says, okay, you guys that were at the end of the line, you move to the front of the line now. Israel was at the front of the line, but they got sent to the back of the line. And you and I got ushered to the front, so we get to go through the doors first. <clears throat> In chapter 12, 23, now we'll pass on that. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, 21. We'll just close with this. I'm racing through a lot of this because this is kind of a really broad overview of what basically the book of Hebrews is, is talking about, <clears throat> that um, those ages that were organized by Jesus Christ, <clears throat> that he said it, it were... Uh, he put them together in chapter 1, verse 2, and they're designed with certain promises related to each age that if we live in light of those promises, we will be living a life that is honoring to God because that's what he's designed the age for. He's revealing something about himself and made promises of, during that time that we can live in light of that will affect our lives, and if we walk in light of those promises, we will be brought to the desired end. We will be brought to maturity. But in Hebrews chapter 13, we have the word perfect in our English occurs here. It's a different Greek word, though, that is used. It's not the word to be brought to maturity. But in 13 verse 21, it says, oh, let's go back to verse 20. Now may the God of peace, this is referring to God the Father, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Uh, some translations say make you perfect, uh, the word that mine's translated uh, more accurately says equip you concerning good that you may do his will working in us that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever amen the book of Hebrews closes after this whole long dissertation of identifying Christ as the one who organized the ages to <clears throat> demonstrate certain things about himself that he wants us to live in light of that revelation concerning himself. And within those ages, he's developed house rules at, at different times 
that are different house rules, that the house rules he's designed for us in this present age that he's organized for us specifically, has designed to bring us maturity. And at the very end, he says, if we're living in light of that, in light of the house rules that he's given for us, according to the promises related to the age that we live in, concerning the revelation about himself, he closes then with, then may that God, the Father, who called us, equip you for every good work. If we're living in light of the rules, according to the age promises, then that God who's designed all of these things is going to equip us to do every single thing that is well-pleasing this site. And so that's how he ends with the book of Hebrews here. <clears throat> um, like I say, started off just looking at apologetics, which really <laughs> see, seems like a long ways away from this. But it's just interesting to me that Hebrews 11 is used by people who endorse apologetics to back their, their, their uh, belief system that they should be spending their time trying to prove the word of God to a bunch of people. And they take this out of a, a verse, out of a book that is written that completely negates that. That we're not supposed to be walking by four eyes. We're supposed to be walking by the insight that we get from faith that's provided by God by living according to the rules in the household that he's established for me, in the age that he's arranged for me to live in to reveal things about himself. And people who endorse that, that aspect of apologetics are living in the wrong household, ignoring the age, living in, in the wrong age, doing things by sight, not by faith, and doing just the same thing that Cain did, holding up that gift of their service to God, saying, accept me. And God said, but that doesn't meet my requirements. I don't care, accept me. But it doesn't mean, I don't care, accept me. That's what Christians do by trying to walk by sight, by their own religion, uh, their uh, work of the flesh, which is uh, religious superstition, doing things that in our mind must be pleasing to God because it looks good to me. But God has told us in his word what's good to him. God is good. Now, I, I, I think I said this Thursday night at the Bible study. I'll say it here. We have a lot of thoughts about God. And one thing that I've learned, if I haven't learned anything else in my Christian life, I've learned this. God does not care what I think. God cares what God thinks. That's why he's given us his word so that we can share his thoughts. If we share God's thoughts, it's to his glory and he will produce within us what he desires to produce. If we don't share his thoughts, we can offer up all kinds of things that are my thoughts, but this even goes back to the old household where God said several times, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. Thus saith the Lord. Anyway. Father, we do thank you that you have not left us ignorant concerning what your desire is for us. You've not left us to guess what you want. You've not left it to our own devices <clears throat> to try to figure out what is well-pleasing to you. Uh, Satan provides us with that. He gives us the temptation to function independent from what you have revealed as your desirous will. And we can listen to Satan's voice or we can listen to yours. If we listen to yours, we'll be well-pleasing in your sight. We thank you that you give us the desire to do this. You give us the energy to do it. You give us the, the capability of doing these things. And it just re uh, remains for us to 
uh, yield ourselves to you and to become <clears throat> ones that you desire us to be, to reach that desired end that you've established for us, ones as mature sons before you in love. Amen. I believe there's some lunch downstairs. Hope you join us. Thank <laughs> you.